Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So if you turn to uh, Genesis chapter 27 and verse 41, we're going to continue here in our study. So let's first of all look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for such an invaluable word, the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to have this word in our hands this morning and to be able to open it, to be able to Lord, open our hearts as we open your word and to have you teach us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 27, verse 41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. In these words of Esau, her elder son were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days. Until thy brother's wrath turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from whence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? Okay. <laughs> now, in our last study, we came to these words in verse 41, which starts off terrible words when it says Esau hated Jacob. You know, this is the great hatred in these three words, Esau hated Jacob. And because of these three words in verse 31, Esau hated Jacob, those words are going to determine the rest of Jacob's life. Those words set the course for the rest of Jacob's life. Because in these three words, Esau hated Jacob, Jacob is going to be driven out of his home. And because of these three words, Esau hated Jacob in verse 41, there's going to be a separation between the two heirs of the promise, Isaac and Jacob. These words are so changing for the course here in Jacob's life. Verse 41, Esau hated Jacob. Jacob, because of these words, is going to face struggles that are going to drive him from the state of being the really Jacob, the man who became broken, to becoming Israel, the man who became rebuilt. And these three words, Esau hated Jacob, they look like a great tragedy, and they are. But God is going to use this hatred that Esau has for Jacob, he's going to use that to drive Jacob to God. 
I mean, Esau had no reason to hate Jacob. I mean, Esau's hatred of Jacob was really causeless. There was no cause, and I mean, the only reason he hated him was because Isaac blessed Jacob, and God loved Jacob, and that's why. And there's like a lesson in this, because hell hates what heaven loves. See, hell curses what heaven blesses. But Esau's hatred is strong. It's very strong. And when you read that, what he says here, he's vowing his heart. The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. I mean, uh, what's the kind of word that you would use to describe Esau's position, Esau's attitude, Esau's feelings at that time? What word would you use? Murderous. Murderous and passionate and strong and determined. That's the first time in the Bible that this word hate is used. It's the first time. And this word is interesting in the Hebrew. This is the word satam, satam, which basically means lurking. It means like laying low and looking for your opportunity to attack. It means you're happy to lay low and wait for the right time to attack. That's in the word satam. And what follows in verse 41 is a perfect illustration of what the word satam means because Esau has carefully crafted his scheme. You know, I will slay my brother. And then we see Esau with determination. He's willing to wait it out. Wait it out. The days of mourning of my father are at hand then. See, the word then really gets you the meaning of this word satam. I'll slay my brother Jacob. See, he's carefully, he's got his his plan of attack. It's all worked out in his mind, and he's just going to wait the right opportunity, and that's a perfect illustration of this word satam, to really to lurk. And from this verb, satam, comes the noun, the Hebrew word satan, or Satan. So the foundational meaning of the noun Satan in verse 41 We see it in Esau's scheme here as he's carefully planned out his attack and he's lurking and waiting for his opportunity. We've all seen these pictures on television of the, uh, you know, the lion who's lurking in the tall grass and he's got his eyes fixed on the, let's say, the gazelle and he's carefully planned, he's thinking about it. You know, you can see him there. He's thinking about sinking his teeth into the throat of that gazelle. He can taste the blood. And he lurks down in the tall grass, and he just waits for the gazelle to get off her guard. And that's why Satan is likened to a lion in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, where we are told, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, or we could say lurketh about, seeking whom he may desire. And we would say to the gazelle, if we could talk to the gazelle, which we can't because we don't know gazelle language, but if we could, we'd say, gazelle, be sober, be vigilant. Don't let your guard down because your adversary, the roaring lion, is watching you and he's just waiting for you to become careless. And so just like verse 41, our Esau is Satan and he hates us. Why? Because of the salvation blessing that God has blessed us with. And just like Esau, Satan has has said in his heart, I'm gonna watch him, 
and I'm just, I can wait it out. I'll wait for the opportunity when the guard is down and, and, and when he's careless, and then I'll pounce to destroy. So this lurking aspect in verse 41 is seen in Esau satamed, how he satamed Jacob as the idea there is brought out. Same thing is meant by the hymn that we sing. You know, my soul be on thy guard. 10,000 foes arise and hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. Oh, watch and fight and pray. The battle ne'er give o'er. Renew it boldly every day and help divine implore. Ne'er think the victory won, nor once at ease sit down. Thine arduous work will not be done till thou hast got the crown. Fight on, my soul, till death shall bring thee to thy God. He'll take thee at thy parting breath up to his blessed abode. Isn't that beautiful words? I mean, don't you love that part? Till death shall bring thee to thy God. That's what death does to us. Anyway, we have an enemy who is like Esau, and he said, Tom Jacob, in verse 41, and therefore, that means we have to always be on our guard. We have to never give up the battle. We have to always help divine implore, ask God for help. We never think the victory has been won. We never sit down but we fight on till death brings us to God. Now, we see how this Satam hatred that Esau had for Jacob, it blossomed out. Verse 41, Esau said in his heart. That's an interesting phrase. He said in his heart. I mean, that kind of takes you back a little bit. He said in his heart. That's interesting. You know, that phrase, said in his heart, is used to describe seven persons in the Bible that it's revealed what they said in their heart. Who do you think was the first person in the Bible that it was revealed what he said in his heart? No, it wasn't Cain. Take another guess. (laughs) It'll surprise you. It's God. It was God. God smelled the offering that Noah made from the ark, and then God said in his heart, that's the first person that he's not going to destroy the earth anymore at the flood. In Genesis 8, 21, it says, And the Lord smelled sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living, as I've said. Who do you think was the second person that, that said in his heart? It wasn't Cain. Who do you think was the seventh, second person who said in his heart that it was revealed what he said in his heart? It was Abraham. And it was Abraham on a not-so-great picture of Abraham. He's laughing at what God promised him. He doesn't believe that he and Sarah are going to have a son. And in Genesis 17, 7, it says, Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, he thought it was private, but he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that's 100 years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? The third person in the Bible to set in his heart is what we're reading right now about Esau. He's the one who he said in his heart, the days of mourning of my father are at hand, then I'll slay my brother. The fourth person who said in his heart in the Bible was David, who was so afraid that Saul was going to kill him, he was convinced he was going to die at the hand of Saul. And he said in 1 Samuel 27, 1, 1 Samuel 27, 1, and David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. 
The fifth person in the Bible that had revealed was Jeroboam, who was afraid that the 10 tribes that were following him were going to turn around and leave him and join the other two and join Judah. And it says in 1 Kings 12, 26, 1 Kings 12, 26, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. And the sixth person is really a category of person called the wicked. And it's interesting because the wicked, it says three times in Psalm 10, said in his heart, the wicked said in his heart, said in his heart. And these are really three things that the wicked say, which is like their position statement. It's like their, their statement of belief. And the first thing that the wicked say is they're absolutely convinced that they're stable, they'll never hit hard times. They're convinced that when they said, let the good times roll, the good times would never stop rolling. And it says in Psalm 10, verse 6, he had said in his heart, I shall not be moved, I shall never be in adversity. So that's the first position of the wicked, that they're as stable as the rock of Gibraltar. The second statement of the wicked is that they're convinced that God suffers from Alzheimer's disease. (laughs) they're just convinced that God is forgetful. And it says in Psalm 10, verse 11, he had said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face, he will never see it. So that's the second position that they're convinced about, that God forgets about their sin. And the third position, the third, the wicked are convinced that they'll never have to pay for their sin. And it says that in Psalm 10, verse 13, wherefore the wicked contemn God, he had said in his heart, thou wilt not require it. See, that's the position of the wicked. The seventh person who has revealed what he says in his heart is the fool. The fool, and it's repeated in both Psalm 53, 1 and Psalm 14, 1. Psalm 14, 1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. And then it gives the reason why they say that. It says they're corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. So isn't this wonderful? We're reading these words. He said in his heart, I mean, wow, just the word of God. He'd tell us what a person says. In his, the word of God lets us hear what a person says in his heart. That's the word of God. I mean, how many of us speak in our hearts? We all do, right? Bill, finally, Bill. Good, thanks. <laughs> Bill, speak in our hearts. And, and what we say in our hearts defines us. That's what defines us. This little voice inside that's speaking to us, that defines us. That's what it means when it says in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. He equals what he thinks in his heart. And these are the statements of the heart that the Bible records for us, and the statements in the heart define the person. God as a person is defined by what he says in his heart. Because God said in his heart that he would not destroy the earth, God is defined as, by that statement, as merciful, as kind, as not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The wicked is defined by what they said in their heart. Because the wicked said in their heart, I'm stable, I will never see hard times, Because the wicked said in his heart, God has either not seen all my sins or God has just forgotten about all my sins. Because the wicked say in their heart, I will never be held accountable for my sins. Because they say those three things in their hearts, they 
refuse to label their sins as awful. They refuse to feel awful for their sins. They refuse by their will. They refuse to realize their sins are sending them to hell. They, by their will, refuse to repent for their sins. They, by their will, refuse to pray to God to be merciful to them as lost sinners. They refuse to label themselves as sinners. They refuse to feel awful as sinners. They refuse to realize that they deserve hell. They refuse to repent of their sins. They refuse to fall on God for mercy by their will. And because they say these things in their heart, because they say, I'm immovable, because they say, God has not seen or forgotten, because they say, I will not be held accountable, because they say all those things by their will, they are willful, they are obstinate, they are stubborn, they are rebellious. The fool is defined by what he says in his heart, because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The word fool there means nabal, it's um, it means someone who is careless. Because he says there's no God, he's careless. He's heading for danger and just doesn't care anything about it. He's just not concerned. How many of us think that what we say in our hearts is private, it's confidential, and no one else hears it? Anybody think that? <laughs> no, because Esau probably thought that. Esau probably thought that that's my private heart, that's my private conversation, nobody is going to hear about it. I mean, we're reading about it today, what he said in his heart. And it shows us nothing is secret. Nothing is secret. If Esau would have only learned that truth, that nothing is secret from God, especially. I remember how a disgruntled employee of ours who worked for us for less than nine months, but during that time, she just combed through all of our emails, and then she sued us for many, many things, including that we prayed as a company. And that put undue pressure on her that gave her psychological problems. I can think of other things that would give her psychological problems, but anyway. So then what she did when she sued us, she sent our emails to the newspaper. And so we read our emails in the newspaper. (laughs) They took portions of the newspaper. We thought our emails were confidential. We thought, we thought, but now some of them are in the newspaper, And so now we tell everybody in the company, don't write any email unless you're ready to have it appear on the front page of the newspaper (laughs) because nothing is secret. And Esau should not have said anything in his heart that he wasn't prepared to have printed on the book of all time, (laughs) okay? Because it was, because nothing is secret from God. And Esau, he thought he was saying to himself, he said, it's secret, but it's nothing is secret from God. And we falsely think sometimes in our hearts that what we say is secret, but nothing is secret. That's exactly what the Lord meant when he said in Luke 8, 17, for nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known or come abroad. I mean, what a difference it makes in life to live really believing nothing is secret. That's really what God was trying to get done in Abraham's mind Abraham, I want you to live your life believing nothing is secret. And as a matter of fact, Abraham, he told him in, in Genesis 17, 1, when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, that the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am God Almighty, walk before me. He said, I am God Almighty, walk before me, be thou perfect. When he says, 
I am God Almighty, walk before me. God is wanting Abraham to believe that the almightiness of God means nothing is secret. So Abraham, uh, you can't keep a secret from God. So walk Walk in front of me. I'll be behind you. Don't turn around. I'm, just, I'm watching you all the time, and I see everything. That's what God wanted Abraham to believe. It made a difference. In other words, God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, I have some experience with a couple that came before you, and I don't want you to do that. That was Adam and Eve. So don't do the Adam and Eve routine on me. You know, in Genesis 3.8, where it says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, of the Lord God, amongst the trees of the garden. So when God said to Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect, he's saying to him, don't try to hide yourself from the presence of God. Don't think that the trees can conceal you, because I can see through the trees, because nothing is secret. And so walk before me means believing nothing is secret. Nothing is secret from God. And there's one person who hears everything that we say in our hearts. And we know that person as we read about it in Matthew 9, 2, where it says, Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, that means they said in their hearts, said within themselves, that means they said thinking it was a secret said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, that means nothing was secret from him. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, that means he heard them. He heard their thoughts. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? See, the statement, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says it all. Says he's the person who hears everything that's said in a heart. In the heart, he's the person who hears what we say in our hearts. He's the person that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He hears everything that we say in our hearts. And there was a time when he heard what a Pharisee said in his heart in Luke seven thirty six through forty. In Luke seven thirty six, he says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went down into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold. A woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him, wiping, and weeping rather, and began to wash his feet with tears and wipe them. And she wiped them with the hairs of her head. And she kissed his feet, and she anointed him with that ointment. And it says, now when the Pharisee, had, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself. He said in his heart. He, he spoke thinking it was a secret. He said within himself, I was saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. I mean, just think about what he said. I mean, he said, if he was a prophet, he would have known. Well, he was a prophet that didn't even that not only knew who she was, he knew what he was saying in his heart at that time. And so it's then it says, and Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to him. He says, Master. See, those are really important statements when it says in verse 39 of Luke 7, he spake within himself, and then verse 40, Luke 7, Jesus answering. He spake within himself, he's answering. It shows that he not only hears what we say in our heart, he answers what we say in our hearts. 
Another great day of studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Now, today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor by going to our online bookstore and our website located at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. And to learn more about Jewish evangelism or obtain free resources or send a free gospel gift from Tom Cantor to your lost Jewish friend, visit IsraelRestoration.org, IsraelRestoration.org. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee, California at 6.30 p.m. for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. Our Bible study happens every Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. This Thursday, we'll study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. We'll have expert guest speakers from the Southern California Seminary with Dr. John Baumgartner and Dr. Christopher Cohn and Dr. Kenneth Cumming, who will join our Creation and Earth History Museum staff as we study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. Bring an atheist or unbeliever to the Bible study and fellowship and join us this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, off Woodside Avenue North. Call us for more information. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.